Welcome back to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this second of three episodes, Stanton Walsh touches on his move to Houston, Texas to take up the artistic directorship of Houston Ballet and talks about ballet dancers and his repertoire selection. So you go in there in 2003 and yes. take on this company and I'm I'm you have, you have an buy audience boots, <laughs> buy a big truck <laughs> invest in the oil company so yeah something like that yeah Houston man what a what but a Houston, change Houston's not what you think and was, I have to admit I've never been there yeah it, it's this but I will come <laughs> anomaly um I first went to, I'd been working in Denmark and I went to Houston to do a ballet and I was thinking Texas and I'd watched Dallas, of course, and I'd watched (laughs) Westerns and I had this very distinct idea. And Australians have a lot of cowboys too, so we're accustomed to that. that. Um, And it was this green tropical city that looked like Savannah, Georgia. I felt like I was in that book, what is it, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yes. The people were so welcoming and friendly in elevators on the street everywhere. And the arts were incredible. You had these the Menil Art Gallery, which is one of my favourite contemporary galleries I've ever been to. The MFA, fantastic. The opera there was turning out a new opera, a new written opera nearly every year, from Amazing. Dead Man Walking to Nixon in China to... The Alley Theatre is there also producing work that ended up going to Broadway. The standard was just so high and the audience so receptive. And what I liked as a choreographer, you never felt that they liked the adventure of a new work. And that as a choreographer is the ultimate thing. You want to be able to really fail one time because if you can't just be brave and trying then you're not really moving forward if you're always worried about it is it going to be a hit and you just i just didn't feel that there and what was the first ballet you did for them indigo and what was that like um it's an abstract work to vivaldi and it was four couples um sort of sexual uh, um, emotional but not you know it was it was a movement it was a one act one, one act, act i did a few one acts for ben and then he bought Butterfly, Madame Butterfly, um, which I'd done on the Australian Ballet, and that went to Houston too. So, yeah, I, I, it, Houston is this more southern city to me than a Texan city, and they have this understanding, which I think these rare cities do, and Australia definitely did, and Canada definitely does, and I think that might be... be I, I'm not sure why. In Australia, I think it was because there was this sense of that England was, for my grandparents, the only art and the only great dancers. And then it took a long time to convince the Australian public that the Australian dancers were just as good and our product just as exciting and artistic. Um, And I feel that in Houston. There's this sense that the community wants to build, understands that culture represents your city and your place and your time. And if you spend the money and and, the t- and educate people about the arts and the art is created in your place, people will remember that. I mean, Netherlands Dance Theatre in Den Haag, I don't think I'd have gone to Den Haag if it wasn't for ballet. Right. Uh, 
And, and I really felt like Houston understood that. And the, the people that support the philanthropy there really understands that. And they're not just trying to pay money to a big name company. They want to make their own companies. And they want them to be living there and born there and, and settle, have roots in that city. That's fantastic. And I, it, it sounds like it, because of your experience being able to go in there and make a series of ballets when Ben was running the company, mm-hmm. that by the time that position became available, you had a very strong sense of the community. I did. And what I, a huge advantage for yeah, you, too. Yeah, and I wanted to protect it. Like, there was, there was a sense of urgency, you know. It needed to go into the right – it needed to stay on the right direction. Um, and I think there are many people that could have done that. It wasn't just me, but it, it definitely needed to not lose its unique voice. So in the in the years that you've been there, you've choreographed a number of works and you're also the artistic director. Where mm-hmm. are those jobs similar and where are they very different? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. I think as a choreographer, you're an artist and you're vulnerable and you're emotional and you're, uh, you know, I... It's tough at times. I love the creation. I wouldn't do anything else. But it's also very private and interior. And when you have a dancer with you, you you sort of bring them into your little world and your bubble. And as a director, I don't think you can do that. You have to be stoic and you have to have a sense of the why. What, What are you doing this for? Why? And this is where I'm taking us all. And sometimes we've got to do something that's a bit painful. And, and sometimes I've got to fire someone or, or raise the money or cut something. And they're all tough, hard things. And I like the yin and yang. The choreographer is the emotional, teary one. And the director is the forceful one. It, it plays into my schizophrenia well. <laughs> but it must be sort of like you walk into the studio and you're the choreographer and you walk out and you're the artistic director. Yes, to, yes. And, you know, the good thing for me was that I'd always danced and choreographed. So I already had that boundary. You know, I had my friend and I'm your friend and I'm dancing with you. And now the next hour I'm in charge of you. Yeah. <laughs> and and that taught me pretty early on to have thick skin and and and... and to be able to live in a, bu- in, in a bit of a bubble that way. What do you look for in a dancer? Well, of course, to be a good dancer. I think that that's a given. And I think that the technique w- of the world right now is, has risen so much that there are many great dancers. So you get to be a little bit pickier. I, I really, I think it's important to, in Houston Ballet if you want to join the company that you love contemporary and that you love classical and you love storytelling. And if you only want one... We're not the place for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> we be, and to say that, it's interesting. Azure's piece, for example, was a ballet with 35 people and they all danced in unison. There was no lead. So the principals, the soloists, the court of ballet, the apprentices were all equal and they had to rehearse that way and they had to stay open that way and they did. And she had a great experience and the ballet was excellent. Twyla's piece was five principal couples supported by soloists, supported by corps de ballet, which is a very traditional format. And the principals are in front and they're glamorous and the corps de ballet is working as a team behind and you have to go into that with that that mentality. And then Julia's was a, a Jewish wedding and funny and a story and you really had to be involved as an actor and understand all the humour and the, the little the jokes. Um, so that, to me, sort of summarises it. You... you 
we have great dancers, but you also have to be more involved in the art form than your own trajectory. If you, if you just want to be a star, I don't know. Uh, we want to make great ballets that last forever. And the dancers that are in them will be remembered. I mean, right. Marcia, uh, look at the Stuttgart of that time. I mean... Marcia. Heide, uh, yeah. Uh, who was the principal dancer at Stuttgart, Stuttgart for years. years. And she was... She danced in Canada. Yeah, yeah she, danced and she became a huge star. But yeah. it was really through her work with Cranko making ballets on her. So I, I feel like you can still be that star. It's just a different. If you can't be in Yuri Killian's uh, soldier's mess and be one of 12 men worrying about your line, then, you know, I don't know. And that's that's very much what we have. And I like a brain, I have to say. I I, I like them to be clever. <laughs> and you that's can be good. clever and naive, which I think most of the artists are, meaning that you're clever at one area um but i think our dancers are very very smart and and hungry for more information they're not shut down into their own into their own selves you mentioned earlier that a lot of when you first went there a lot of the dancers of the company today were in the school so is that really is there is does that just happen naturally is that part of your commitment to bring a lot of people up from the school or it is uh it didn't happen naturally uh, they've always been a good school um, Has it been there since the company yes, began? That's what I yeah. thought, yeah. It actually was before the company. So the company uh, grew from the school. And Ben had uh, loved teaching kids and was very involved in that. Um, and I, I like choreographing. I've always been involved with kids that way too. So it, it made sense. But when I first got there, I would say we were hiring maybe one, one from the school out of six a year. I really felt it was... A, out of six dancers Like a year? if we hired six, about the average would be one or two would be okay. from our own school. Okay. And... Is that what you're hiring? About six a year still? Like is that, yeah, that an average? Okay. Six to oh, eight. That's encouraging. Depends on the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the school level wasn't bad. It was just that there were better dancers auditioning. And I felt that that was important. And we... They'd never had auditions outside of Houston. And we started having them in San Francisco and New York. Then the company standard, I felt, really rose dramatically, in particularly the men. And then the school got better. And it was like suddenly the kids that were coming to the school wanted to be the boys that they were watching in the company. And it, it, it started to generate like that. This last year, I hired entirely from the school. Fantastic. Uh, Joe Walsh, who's the latest male principal, came from the school. Connor's from the school principal. Uh, that, that sort of stuff I, I love because... All my staff, artistic staff, teach in the school as well, and the school staff teach in the company. So oh, fantastic. We try to have this, like, the old Bolshoi Kirov thing where you have your trainer and your trainer's with you from 15 through life. So I, I really like that family unit like that. And I, and I Are you also somewhere. the artistic director of the school? I am, you yes. are, okay. Because one of the things when, when people talk about your your leadership at, at the company and the transformations, they talk a lot about particularly the strength of the male dancers. Right. And and it sounds like that's something that you're able to see as a result of bringing in some of these professionals from other major cities. You're seeing that reflected in the school as Definitely. well. Definitely. And the t we have a great, great teachers in the school. Claudio Munoz is a great male teacher. And We've always had they've always had a lot of men in the school. It was just that they weren't always going to be classically great guys, and I think that that has really changed. And I mean, we're very proud of the fact now we have all male classes, right from the little kids, 
you know, we have this last summer program, I think we had like 45, 50 men in the top class, which was the biggest group we've ever had. They're not all hyper-talented, but being together, you know, I mean, the women always have that competition with one another. The men, sometimes you're just one of two guys. <laughs> and if, right. you're, if you're the good guy, then, you know, well, who's pushing you? And I think men enjoy that rivalry a little bit and, and that has definitely lifted lifted the company. And I also think that the ballets we do, all that contemporary rep, all the Killian rep, Forsyth rep, make men dance like crazy. And then I think that the storytelling work, like the Cranko work, and also have great roles for men. It's only the classical rep that can be limiting with one male lead role. You're talking and about the very traditional classical rap, you know, right, where there's the prince and... Exactly. Yeah, okay. And we've changed all of them. And now, like uh, our Swan Lake, the act one is all men dancing. And uh, Is that your Swan Lake? Yes. Okay, so you've very, very um, specifically come in and taken this very traditional... And form this very traditional ballet that people, your audience and others expect to see the mm -hmm. same story and you've transformed it to be something other. Other, but still within the structure of the classical ballet. I just had done a Bayadere, that was the, the latest one, about two years ago, we're repeating it. It's very traditional. I mean, I did a lot of painful research finding the, uh, the shades and all of that. But, we just saw La Bayadere last year, actually. Right. It was great, yeah. And then, terrific. you know, off. but the men don't do much. So, again, it was like, how do I m amp this up for the guys and make them equally as worried as all the quarter ballet girls right. on the side and want to warm up and, and be energised? So it's not too challenging to find ways of making the men dance more. And I, I really believe had Petapar and all of that have had them available, they'd have done it. It's just that they just didn't have that many... Dancing men. Well, because they weren't training them either, no, right? No, no. Or the, or men weren't going into the profession. Weren't going or, in. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Do you find a big difference still between dancers in the U.S. or in North America than the dancers in Europe? Um, I, I'm not as familiar with Europe anymore, but I do between Australia and America. How for so? Sure. What's the big difference? American dancers are very energized and fast, and I find hungrier. Australians. <laughs> and as much, I mean, I love. Uh, they can the hear this interview in Australia, you know. You know, it's just a click away. <laughs> but it, it kind of feels like at times there's the isolation creates a level of complacency because you can't really be fired. There's no, you, they can't hire a foreigner in the Australian ballet. So the Australian ballet can only hire from the Australian ballet school. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's incredible. And you can't get into the Australian ballet school if you're not Australian. So, That's very unique, isn't it? I mean, I, well, I, I know think Denmark, I think Denmark's there, like there are actually? European okay. companies okay. where they, they have a small enclave of foreigners, but the main bulk is not that. And it's, it's also the not being able to fire people thing. That's common in Europe. I've heard that yeah. from many artistic directors. And I think that that, you know, I, I remember when Maina Gilgood took over Denmark and there was a young quarter ballet girl that she had uh, wanted to release and she'd called her in for a, a meeting and the girl said, I'll be here longer than you. You can't get rid of me. Wow. And she was 17 or 18 and this woman is <laughs> a senior ballet expert. And I, that stuff I, I can't get my head around. And the Australian Ballet certainly doesn't have that pension plan, but the, because you can't hire from outside of the country, it really limits that. 
And America's not like that at all. You you drop your game, you're fired. You aren't great. You go to another company. There are many, many companies, and they all have different styles, and you'll find the one that fits you. Go. Go do it. And I, I really like that. I It energizes me. It makes me want to... So the people that are in Houston, you feel like want to be there. They want to be there for the rep. They and they like want to stay it. there. They want to, yeah, yeah, and that's great. Yeah. Now the rep, you you you're saying it's you you don't work in Houston. You go somewhere else. But you know, sometimes I feel that a lot of companies are bringing in rep from the same choreographers. Yes. So how do you? I mean. Choreographers that we adore. I mean, I could watch Yuri Killian and William Forsyth, you know, forever. Yes. <laughs> but how do you bring in, how do you diversify your rep and keep the uniqueness of that company uh, at the same time? Right. That's a challenge. Well, I think um, we have six reps a year, plus Nutcracker, plus a gala, plus touring. So if you exclude the pluses, the six reps, normally uh, three of them are full length. And I try to have a classical full length, a, a traditional full length and a storytelling full length and a new full length. And then in the mixed reps, it's similar. We'll have our master's program where the Killian and the Forsyth, the Balanchine, the Robbins. And then you have your experimental program like the All Women where really I don't know how many big classical ballet companies have done works by Azure uh, created on. So that that's our difference. That's our uniqueness. And believe it or not, with works in Canada, you're much more familiar with Yuri. In America, he's he's still not. You know, outside of Boston and Houston, I don't know of that many companies doing a lot. Okay. ABT's done a couple of things, but yeah. So it, it's p how you pick what their repertoire is. But I also feel, as a director in a city like Houston, where we're we're pretty isolated. I mean, we're really at the bottom of the country and. There's certainly no other big ballet companies around us that I need to show the audience and the dancers some of these works. So something like Forgotten Land by Yuri Killian, which many companies do, I do believe our audience and our dancers and the school should see. And even if we only do it once, it's important as a curator sort of to educate them through what I bring and... Uh, that's why I think you see some of that repetition. Uh, but hopefully the choreographic workshop is the way of the future of creating a more unique voice. Two of the dancers from our company who went through this, uh, the workshop won the New York uh, Choreographic Institute Award two years in a row. Fantastic. And they're both doing their first ballets with us next year. That's, that's how... Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, I don't mean to make it sound like Killian and Forsyth no, you are, don't. Are, are, you know, old timers. No, They're no, still no, no. both, uh, you know, I, I just saw, um, had the opportunity to see a beautiful um, full length by Killian that he had given to um, Ballet Opera de Lyon. And I was blown away uh, at how influenced at that period in his creativity he was by Forsyth. Oh, yes. Whereas, you know, the artistic director, Yorgos Lukos, explained to me that, of course, Forsyth had been quite influenced by Killian. And this this ballet called One of a Kind, oh, I, I think he made it. No, I don't think mm. very many people had. And it was just, you know, still so contemporary yeah. and fresh. And I don't think Killian made very many full-length ballets. But, uh, but I think anyone over 40 is in that age group now. You know, I mean, I have to say I, I am looking younger because they're... I'm in. I'm not mm -hmm. fresh anymore mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. So you do have to find the fresh voices. But 
Yeah, I, I think it's like if I was teaching someone English in school, I'd have a list of books that I'd want them to read. And I have a list of ballets I want the dancers to dance and see and the audience the same thing. That's all for this edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. Join us next time for part three of Kathy's conversation with Stanton Walsh. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca forward slash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time. Thank you.